Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I sit down with Bala Vishwanath. Bala is the CMO at CoreStack and this company is on fire. His team today to get perspective is sitting around 15, 20 marketers, but he's hiring just as many because this company is on path to that elusive unicorn status. Now, Bala's path to getting to the CMO gig is quite intriguing. He started his career more in the engineering side, became a CEO, became a founder, has been head of marketing, and as CMO today, he has got amazing recipes. And we unpack some of these recipes. I use the word recipes because he just doesn't use a buzzword. He tells you how to achieve this. He's got a recipe for great storytelling, a different recipe for how to engage and bring the voice of our customers. But maybe my favorite one that we dig into is how to leverage product market fit. And the word there is leverage because it's not just having product market fit. So what do we do with it? How do we find the right channels to attack and gain traction to become that unicorn that I told you that CoreStack is on the road to be? This is a great episode right now with that. Very excited to jump in and talk about this opportunity you are as CMO of CoreStack. Now, just to give people some background to how you got here, I feel like your background in engineering and sales engineering is so core to CoreStack, pun intended there. <laughs> Let me just take a few moments to give you a sort of a background to how I got started. So doubly by background, masters, and then um, being sort of an SE in applications engineer helping sales technique from a technical sales perspective. And the beauty of that role is that it's really an intermediary between sales and product. You know, you're working with a salesperson and you're taking the requirements and you're mapping it, you're telling this journey of the product from a technical perspective and providing the value to the customer from a benefit transformation perspective, but then also hearing and taking the customer value back to product teams so that you can improve the product. In some respects, that lends itself very well to the marketing area to begin with, you know, from a product marketing perspective, from, from listening to the customer, getting feedback back. So that's sort of an origin to the, my marketing journey. After my roles with, uh, with Synopsys, where I was, was managing the Intel account, it was a $100 million account from a technical sales perspective. I then started a company uh, where I was a CEO of, like we can, we can talk more about it, spent six years there, and then one of the VCs in Seattle hired me as a CEO to run, but just from a passion perspective, I was a CMO as well for both of these companies. And so I've grown into this role rather than, you know, just from an AE perspective. And when I became CEO and, and started running the company, I was playing the role of the sales and marketing person. And that got me into the role. So I've been sort of CMO for the last 20 plus years in one way or the other. Really interesting. And, and it's, you know, I've talked to guests before about the value of an SE sales engineer inside of an organization. They have so much knowledge and ability to both tell the story as well as understand the product behind that. It's, it's such a, a high value. Where do you think that guided your career? Is that what made you more of a general business leader? As you said, you've been a CEO, or is that what 
really pushed your passion to marketing at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, the, the very first job that I had right after school from my master's was a design job where I was designing chips, right? And very quickly, I found that the passion that I personally had wasn't telling stories, wasn't interfacing between the customer and the product, which the design job doesn't lend itself very well to. It's a great job. So that's where I felt this AE or the SE, right? We used to call them as applications engineers. Uh, you know, it's called SE now. That role is is really a just a beautiful role because it fits perfectly within, right? And marketing to me is an extension of that where you just become more methodical, systematic. You put data behind it. Uh, and you tell the story. It's all about telling story. I mean, selling is storytelling, right, at the end of the day. And, and marketing is just a great way to, to make that happen in a systematic way. Very interesting. Now, I, I want to dig a little deeper on, on the path that you've taken. As you said, you've been a founder and you were acting as CMO as well as CEO at times. You know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of CMOs more recently who are starting to think about going that path of CEO. Uh, you know, that it is a progression that is believable to be that next step. But when you look back, how did being a CEO prepare you to be even better as a CMO? Yeah. So as a CEO, of course, I believe in a company being customer obsessed to begin with, right? I mean, customers and sales needs to drive the company. Revenue needs to be the hallmark. Because it's just a classic story, right? A lot of entrepreneurs build products and I've, I've been a part of a venture fund where I helped with go-to-market motion for about you know, a couple of dozen companies in a recent capacity. And the, the biggest problem, as we all know, is that we all have ideas, right? And, and we all want to build stuff. And so when an entrepreneur thinks of building, it's often that they think of the solution first and then they look for the problem, right? It's a classic uh, issue that happens. So... Being an AE, being a CEO, being a CMO in, from a sales capacity or interfacing with a customer teaches you the importance of listening to the customer first. If I were to start another company, I wouldn't even write a piece of single line of code until I have enough of validation, right? I would present the problem to 30 companies, right? And 30 is a magic number that I use and, and get feedback and, and you know bring in them to farming your product and actually is, is beneficial in many ways, right? Number one, it's a voice of the customer, so what you're building is tuned to what the customer wants. Number two, ultimately, you have these as passive people that are going to buy you because they're sort of built, they're part of the journey, and they're building the product with you in some sense, right? So the selling becomes a lot easier. So as a CEO, when I was playing the role of sales and marketing, primarily to come in with from a customer perspective, it just provides for the opportunity to where you value that sort of a need. And so when I transition into the CMO role in focusing on that, it just became very natural that you listen to the customer first, you think problem first, then solution, you think you know, product marketing requirements first, and then product development requirements, right? So what the engineering team does. So the one word that I would say is be customer obsessed, start with the customer and work it backwards, sort of begin with the end in mind and just come backwards. Then you have a good product that the market actually needs. So I, I'm interested playing off of that which I couldn't agree more, the, the importance of voice of customer and being customer obsessed. Where does customer marketing and product marketing sit in your marketing organization? As, as you've now jumped into a CMO role, what is that breakdown that you have in terms of how those two groups either interface as different individuals? Because I think you have a team that's quite large, roughly around 20, growing to maybe 40 in the next year from what, what you told right. me. And, and, and the reason for that is because we're we really a revenue-first, sales and marketing-first company. 
and, and we have two focus areas, right? One is working directly with enterprises and the other is a partner, uh, working with a partner channel. We are partner first from that perspective. We believe in enabling partners. And so the, the storytelling aspect of things becomes a big need in, in how we sell. It's, it's the fulcrum of how we uh, market. And so a large part of what I do is, is focus. And I also believe in very specialized focused areas and, and we can dig deeper, right? So from highest level, sort of the org is, is broken down to, I would say about seven buckets, right? It begins with brand, right? it's brand marketing. We'll dig deeper a little bit more into that. Uh, then there's product marketing. Then we have partner marketing as a very specialized area. And that's because we are a very partner first company. Then there's a growth marketing, which we'll talk about as well from all of the growth perspectives. We also have three more areas called talent marketing, which we can talk about, community marketing, which is a big deal. Uh, and, and I believe that the future of marketing in general is going to go towards a community marketing, right? With all of the Web3 and, and, and everything else, that's just a natural slant. And we believe strongly in that. And the last is a customer marketing part of what you touched upon, right? Which becomes important. So product marketing and customer marketing are absolutely critical. Now, product marketing, I would say, is absolutely number one, right? Because I believe that as marketers, even if we are the best at what we do, we cannot move the needle until there is really good product marketing. I mean, everything centers around product. In fact, writing a book, the concept of that book is really that the go-to-market motion is really three phases. The first I would call is product market fit, right? So it starts with product market fit. You've got to make sure that you know, you're, you're building a product to sort of to the market. The third of that is sort of the product growth phase, right? Which is typically what people want to do. They want to put a, you know, especially VC funded companies, they want to put dollars behind it. They want to run campaigns. They want to do uh, a lot of the large scale things, which is really geared for growth. But where I think a lot of people miss out is in that middle phase, which I call as a product channel fit, right? Unless you know, because these days there was just, it's a multi-channel, omni-channel world where there's just probably 20 channels that we can drop off of in terms of how we want to take a product to market. It's very important to do the product channel fit to know the unit economics of what works before you can scale and grow. So the reason I said those three is because product is a natural part of all those three phases. So product marketing from a perspective of, the, the SWOT analysis to figure out where you do, to, to package well, to price efficiently to do it, and to message to the market right is absolutely key. The other part of what you said is customer marketing is absolutely important because it's a feedback loop, right? You cannot just work off of a silo. Even if you've done a product market fit to take a product to market, things change, needs change, opportunities change. So you've got to have the voice of the customer continually coming back. And it, again, as I said, it only helps because you're bringing a customer into the loop and, and so you have the voice of the customer inbuilt. You can change products as, as is needed in the marketplace. And frankly, for any new things that you want to build out, you're passively selling in some way because you're having the customer involved in the process. So when you do have it, it becomes so much easier to take the market. Really interesting. I mean, between those seven buckets of how you go to market with a team and then this function around a product first mindset. I think it's a great recipe. It's also setting up a great second half of this podcast. We'll take a break. We'll be back with Bala here on the Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies. 
and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. You heard Bala talk about how he was a CEO and that has made him a better CMO. But I think the same can be said about CMOs being our next CEOs. You look at the role of the CMO and the number of people that are expected to interface with them in an organization. You're expected to work with sales. You're expected to work now more and more with CS or support. We're expected to really pull together with people to help even promote some of the recruitment that happens in an organization. All these skills really make a CMO a fantastic leader. And I think over time, we will see more and more CMOs make that leap to oversee an overall business go-to-market. We're back here with Bala, and you just provided a really simple framework, although I'm sure it's much more complicated than the simplicity to roll out. But you know, to recap these three steps, we've got product market fit, which we all talk about. As you said, most people then jump to product growth with that, but we miss the important element of product channel fit. And I was trying to relate that in my mind over the break in the sense of when I'm trying to think about opportunities in the market for our solution at Uberflip, and I'm sure a lot of people listening for theirs, there's always that temptation of this new market, this new use case. And we wanna quickly pivot to chase it, but we also have to struggle with, well, what is our core messaging and how do we appease all of our users? Yeah. Is, is that the challenge that you're trying to so solve for with this product channel fit? Yeah, so it's the shiny new object syndrome, right? We all fall prey to that. And, you know, when, when, when the new channel comes, we all want to jump into it. So I think the, the way I look at the, the channels, right? Before channels, I really think that there's two things that are absolutely critical. One is you've got to work on the message, right? The message is key because ultimately we want to take a message to the market. So enough of cycles need to be spent on the message. And the second is the offer. And you know, ultimately, we want to we want to put a message in the market, and we want to we want to get a call to action going, right? We want we want the audience to take an offer, so we've got to think message, offer, and then campaign, right? Or campaign being all of the channels that you want to do, and 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 go down that path. And obviously, as a part of it, what I did not mention is the audience, right? You begin with the audience because otherwise, you won't be able to message because you don't know who you're messaging to and what offer you want to put out. So, from an audience perspective, the way I like to think. Is, is you've got a segment, right? There is no one size fits all in marketing. It's very hard to think of a single product that can fit everyone, right? And you, you know, so when you go after everyone, you really go after no one. So you've got a segment. You know, from a segmentation perspective, a lot of people think of just, you know, enterprise versus mid-market versus consumers. That sort of segment is necessary and it's important. And even one level deeper segment within that, for example, at Core Stack, we go after, you know, CIOs and, you know, chief information security officers, cloud architects, et cetera, right? So, that sort of a segment is necessary, it's important. But I think that from a message offer perspective, which will, and, and, and I will come to your question on channel, right, which leads to it, it's also important to hyper-segment. Now, what I mean by hyper-segmentation is that even in the broad spectrum of CIOs that, that we go after, not all CIOs are alike. It's hard for me to believe that there are CIOs that won't know the problem that we solve, but, but, but still, 
there is a segment that you need to address for being problem unaware, right? Of, of segment of CIOs from that perspective. Then there is solution unaware. CIOs know the problem, but they don't know that the solution exists, right? So, so it's important to message to the solution and not necessarily core stack or brand or anything at that point, right? And then is what I would call as a brand unaware, right? Which is people that know there's a problem, there is a solution, they know of a couple of solutions in the marketplace that exist, but they don't know core stack and they don't know what we bring to the marketplace that's unique, differentiated, that helps them transform the life uh, of, of uh, you know, what they go through in terms of the challenges. And the last part is what I call offer unaware. Obviously with our message and offer, we wanna put out an offer. There are a lot of people that are on the edge, right? Think of you know just this magical two for one or some other offer that you have. That just is an offer that needs to be there to put them over the push them over the edge and get to the next level, right? So you've got a hyper segment this part and then message and offer. Now, when you do those, the magic of what you can get is now it's very clear on what channel you can go after, right? Because you will fit yourself into you know problem unaware and solution aware are sort of at the top of the funnel. The solution aware, brand aware, sort of middle of the funnel. The offer aware is really at the bottom of the funnel, right? So you know top, middle, and bottom of the funnel. You know what channels typically fit in those categories. You're able to define the message and the offer to suit those. And now you have something that you can do. The reason why this product channel fit is important is because you not only need this message, offer, and campaign framework, you also need to know the unit economics. You need to know with almost certainty that if you put a dollar in, you're going to get a dollar twenty or dollar ten or whatever it is that your goal is in return consistently, right? Unless you know it consistently, you cannot scale. So just because you get a you know twenty million dollars in VC funding, you cannot just put money into any one of these things and make it work. It's just ninety nine percent will fail, right? And so, but if you go through this 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 framework, then the chances that you can scale when you grow is a lot higher. So arriving at the unit economics is the reason why that middle channel fit is necessary. And again, there are plenty of things coming through and there are newer things coming through. There is nothing wrong with experimenting on it, but you've got to have an experimentation mindset, a fixed framework that you have rigorous, systematic way to approach that becomes necessary. It's, it's so many valid uh, observations there and how you break down the way we go to market. And, and I want to go back a couple minutes into what you were saying. You, you hit on something that's so simple, but I think all of us listening can relate to and that's the, the reality that, you know, some people understand you know, what pain they have and we just have to show them the ability to solve. And some, you know, don't even know they have that pain yet. Exactly. Right? And, exactly. and I think that's such a simple observation that many of us skip over that really set up, you know, the entire framework that you walk through. And I want to wondering if we can just shift to, to answer that piece of, of the puzzle here more around the element of not just the segmentation, but the content. Uh, you know, as, as you know, content's a, a really important part of the buyer journey and one that I talk a lot about. When, when you think about, you know, those core assets that you create or you lead with in this, you know, product channel fit strategy, when do you lead with, here's what we can do versus here's the pain that you may be feeling? And I can think of it myself. I mean, we're, you know, we use the term like we're a content experience platform, but some people don't even know what that is or why they need it. We may have to kind of Trojan horse that in by saying, we can help you solve for ABM with a content experience platform. So how do you think about the content that you create to match the segmentation? So I have this concept. It's not really a concept. It's, it's the way life is, is that there is at the highest level, there is two classes of people. 
right? There are people that make decisions from a psychological standpoint. They make decisions from sort of the heart, right? It's, it's, they, they get drawn to things from, from just what appeals from an emotional perspective. There are a certain other class of people like me included with my engineering background who are more sort of logical, right? Which is we, we you know, so things that I get drawn to are more proof points, statistics, data, you know, those kind of things. There are a lot of people that get drawn to sort of emotional, psychological aspects of things of how I can transform your life. If I can tell you that, look, I have a piece of solution here that not only provides you all of these benefits, but can really transform your life into giving you back time, giving you back freedom, giving back my, all of that kind of stuff, it appeals, right? So there's a lot of nuance to that and there's validity for that. The reality is that when you, when you write a piece of content and put it out there, unless you do fixed campaigns, right? So for example, I could do a fixed LinkedIn campaign only targeting certain profile, certain persona, right? There I have some amount of uh, intelligence I can put into knowing who the audience is. But in general, if I write a blog post and put it on, on, a, on, on my site, there is no telling on who's gonna read it. So the way I think of content is that, first of all, you need to tell a story, right? Without story, it's very difficult. So you've got to have a framework of telling upfront, you know, of course, the standard, standard rules of writing a good headline, all of that holds true. But then you've got to really come and upfront talk about why they should really be reading that article and what they're going to get out of it. Those two are important, right? So it's right up front, you've got to tell that because people want to know it. But then the way you're going to write the piece of content is you use the principles of, you know, the, the problem, the, the, the gaps that exist in the market, because almost every problem today has a solution, right? There's nothing magical. Everything is being done. Either people are not doing anything about it, they are manually doing it, or they're using some solution for it, right? So nothing is really extraordinarily new. Once you tell the problem, you've got to really talk about what is missing in the current solution. So that's one of the gaps identified, right? And then you're able to position yourself as that authority, because if I can explain you the problem in a way that is better than what you can think of it yourself, you're going to naturally assume that I have the solution for it. So you'd be more prepared for that. You kind of put me in that bucket of being sort of an authority, and then you can go through that part, right? So, and then you've got to weave in the, the, psycho the psychological aspects and the factual aspects to it to making that story, and then you make an offer at the end, right? And a lot of times these days, you don't even need a CTA. I mean, people think that they've got to write a blog post, they've got to have a CTA, they've got to make it dated. The reality is today's data is so, the data stack is so rich that I can just get you on my article and I can pixel you in the background and then retarget you based on the, the, the behavior you've exhibited. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to ask for email. I don't need to ask you to subscribe to anything. It's just, I can give value. So it's just serve value and then get it. So such a well thought out uh, strategy. And, and I definitely love that mindset of heart versus logical. I'll tell you, I think I'm, I'm more the guy went over with the heart as much as you said you're one over with the logic so it's it's great proof that uh different content different approach and understanding that engagement path is is so core Bala, we're going to keep you around after one more break here we've got some rapid fire questions coming up on the marketer's journey I love what Bala pointed out in terms of the type of messaging that's going to resonate with our buyers. Some of us are going to be won over with our heart and some with logic. Without a doubt, I heard that and I'm like, I'm the heart guy. I go for a story. I go for understanding the characters, where I fit, how my team may relate into this entire equation. Some people need that more core numbers, those stats. 
Think about which one you are, but also think about your audience and how you're leading with your messaging. Do you need to balance the two? Do you need to appeal to both? Is there a mix of those two different buyers even in your same persona that you've identified? It's an important item for us to reflect on in any go-to-market strategy. Bala, we have just one segment together left, and that is to hit you with some rapid fire questions. First question, are you ready? Yes. All right, here we go. So the, the one I always like to understand, when you think of the next CMO, the one who's maybe on your team, you, you see that path for them, are they coming up as a generalist or are they really you know, zeroing in on a form of marketing? Any one of those paths is viable, right? Coming up from sort of a product path to elevate themselves is good. When I say product, you know, the product marketing, the customer marketing, all that's related, or the other part is sort of the brand marketing. Either one of those roles, I think is fine. What is important is just the think multi-channel, think omni-channel in, in terms of how you approach and think customer first, work it backwards. I like that. I like that. Customer first has is, is definitely been a theme today. Uh, makes sense on your answer there. When you think of the marketers you admire the most, what do you think they do really well and what do you wish all marketers would do on a daily basis? Two ways that I can answer that. Now, one is people that tell good stories are people that appeal in the marketplace. So, so good storytellers are, are certainly top of my list. The, the other is strong data. Because again, without data, you can't really optimize. You can't know what's working or not. So, so people that pay attention to data, I think, are, are eventually people that will survive in, in, in the new age of CMO. Interesting. So one of the things that you, you hit on that's been part of your career is advising some venture funds and, and getting to know the up and coming next big success companies. I'm sure you've seen a ton of pitches. How do you pick your winners? What is it within that pitch that gets you excited? Yeah, I, I would say that it's really that framework that I talked about, right? Because a lot of people, uh, and I've been in so many of these board meetings where People just come with leads, right? So it's because that's what they want to see. But then they don't have the pre and the post properly thought out, which means that there is not a scalable way to grow the leads. There is not a way to convert those leads. And so things fall apart. So the next board meeting comes up and then there is this, this whole thing starts again. So what's important is really a well thought out product market fit. Product market fit is absolutely needed or the path towards it is needed. But then before you think growth, you've got to know how you're going to take that next step. And that becomes important. But product market fit, I think, is important. And, and that starts with the market and then fits the product within that. And, and to me, product market fit is really, do you have a system that is repeatable? Which means, can do you have a formula? Just having one or two customers is not enough, right? Do you have a formula that's repeatable? And do you have unit economics that can scale? Do people renew, right? Renewal is, of course, you know, if it's MRR, did they renew the second month? If it's ARR, did they renew the following year? And how many of those, you know, did they churn, right? That determines the product market fit. So there's no magic, you know, check button for that. But that becomes important. Great, great. Now, interesting how, you know, listening to you talk about your passion for product market fit is, is almost your term for go to market, you know, and everyone is, is quite broad with that go to market term, but, you know, yours is, is very rooted in product for sure. The last one is, is you know, should be the softest ball of all of these questions, but sometimes it's the hardest. Huh. As, as a CMO, uh, you know, we take this back to the journey. How do you take breaks for yourself? Uh, amid being so busy and, you know, along that 
question, where are you going next for a personal break? Yeah, so I, I think from a professional break perspective, I'm writing a couple of books. So it's just documenting sort of the experiences over the time and, and of course, speaking to experts like yourself where there is shared wisdom that comes through that can be uh, taken to the market, I think. So, so that's what I do that provides for the pathway. And because I'm sort of an advisor and on the board of a few companies, it helps to share this as well, right? So it's, again, from, from a perspective of sharing the wisdom, I think uh, it's great. Uh, I think your other question was, where am I going next from a CMO perspective or what was the next? Uh, no, that was more, where, where are you going to go actually personally? I mean, that's the problem. We always think about what are we going to do next at work to take a vacation? Where's that next destination on? on oh, track? I see. Okay. Yeah, I can tell you. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the story in Sitecore stack is I want to I wanna go to Bhutan. Bhutan is a place that has fascinated me. I think it's it's the happiest place. So my next offsite is, is Bhutan. So my CEO has said, look, if you meet these metrics, then you'll have the budget to take your whole crew there. <laughs> wow. Pretty good. Pretty good. Everyone's going to Google the location in their, in their other app. But stick around if you're listening to this on Spotify, on iTunes. If you've enjoyed hearing from Bala, you'll enjoy hearing from all the other guests I've been fortunate to speak to on this podcast. Everyone's career path to the CMO is a little bit different. Uh, one day, I hope you'll share yours here. Until next time, big thanks to Bala and thanks to all of you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.